The cheese curd is with us and makes promises he can't quite keep. Stark is going to charge $10 for a scattered ice. And what? Of course, I get all excited about placing my workers. Welcome to Wisco Dice. Welcome to Wisco Dice. Welcome to Wisco Dice. I definitely do that better than you guys. Yep. Just saying. I'll give it to you. I've been <laughs> All right. So, hey, it's Cozy with the Most. We're back for episode 32. We are recording on March 30th, 2013. I have been joined by... Stark Raving Mad in studio. Hey, Brian, how's it going? <laughs> Pretty good, how are you? All right, obviously there's another voice that's on with us today, so who else do we have with us? We have Swiss Dictator, Robert Elmer. Hey, how's it going, Robert? Uh, Despite a few things, it's going good otherwise. Spring break. That's always a bonus, get some free time to work on hobby stuff and hang out and, you know, relax a little bit. So, today we're going to go ahead and talk about tournaments not any tournament in one particular uh we're going to talk about like what it takes to to get ready to go to a tournament what kind of stuff you want to bring with as well as what we're going to talk a little bit about organizing and running a tournament from structure things that you want to think about uh all of us have kind of worked both angles both going to a tournament and trying to be involved with some form of running a tournament so that would be kind of cool to cover and talk about today i think we're going to have some great thoughts let's go ahead though and give a big thanks to all of our sponsors starting with misty mountain games misty mountain games and diversion here on cottage grove road on the east side of madison wisconsin lots of gaming space yes no largest gaming space (laughs) in madison for for a store there you know anytime you need space for any event you want to run go ahead and check out misty mountain games on in the previous in the previous home of uh mary mayhem yeah previous it might still i I, we that's still up in the air uh okay that's undetermined at this point next up we have what's that the last polyhedron still forget it it's the last square ben come on (laughs) (laughs) you can go to the last and get 20% off Games Workshop stuff whenever you want. Just go ahead and I think you do have to call in your actual order because of the Games Workshop. That whatever. makes sense. But you just go to the last square to com, mention that you saw it. They'll ship it to you 20% off. Why oh, is this 10% off in the store all the time, Warhammer? Something uh, like that? I don't yeah, remember. I think that's all the time. I and think then, so, yeah. And then on game nights, I think they might kick in a little more. Yeah, I, on, I, on the nights that they, a game is playing, whether it's Warhammer, Flames of War, they give you an extra discount for coming and buying on that night. That's yep. pretty cool. Yep. Pay where you play. It's always an awesome deal. So mm-hmm. definitely go to thelastsquare.com. Check it out. They have a cool little blog as well. Uh, lots of great things. You can follow them on Facebook, all those things. Prism Gaming. And uh, Robert, I hear you've been using some of the Prism Gaming products lately. What can you, what do you, what have you been using and what can you tell us about it? The two washes that I've been using is the leather wash and then the armor wash. And they are freaking amazing. I, now when I use them, I just water them down a t- a tiny bit just because I've been trying to water down my paints in general more. But even the black, the armor wash, doesn't necessarily always need it. And it is amazing, perfect for all these metals. And I've even found other areas where I find it works that you would not think. My Chaos Knights, 
the leather wash, those the the skin on the horses, I used the brown on that, and it just made it look a lot better. They are really amazing washes, and I highly, highly recommend them. Yeah, you can really thin them down. You can really that leather wash is awesome because it starts out it's it's a fairly thick wash, and it starts out you can coat it on. It's a real dark brown which is a really neat effect. Then you can water it down and literally, as you water it down, get right back to that Devlin mud kind of look on a model. Mm-hmm. So it, it's really versatile in what you can do with it. And a very awesome, uh, for the price, it's very awesome. So and I'm glad to hear you starting to use those now. So we'll have to see if we can get you some of the other Prism stuff for paints and, and products. I'm going to have to take a look at it because I'm really liking their stuff. It is really nice. I mean, I've started expanding beyond the Citadel, and their stuff is really good. It, it's it's very nice to use. I've been using a lot. I've been using it, obviously, for a long time, and Paul's used quite a bit of it. So it was. it's a lot of that. It's good to hear see you guys starting to use that stuff. And now that Brian's going to start painting on his ghouls, I'm going to see if I can get him some uh, leather wash or something like that here. To, to kind of get them started. Yeah, I'm kind of mm-hmm. stuck in the Citadel stuff at the moment, just with how I've been painting. <laughs> but eventually, yeah, I'll have to try some. It it the the leather wash is an easy one to get started with. It's one of the because it's, a, it's that brown brown wash that goes over everything yeah, well. It seems like yeah, it's very popular. <laughs> I just need it on everything. There used to be when Games Workshop came out with Devlin Mud. It was like liquid gold. For, yeah, you just wash it over anything, and it just me made whatever mud. you were painting look cool. <laughs> Put that stuff on everything, man. Exactly. <laughs> yep. All right. So then we finally got the Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League. They've been with us since day one. The WWHFB.com. So they're the Wisconsin's oldest and, and longest run Warhammer Fantasy Game Club. Make sure you check them out. Forums. It's definitely where you can chat with the hosts, uh, of this show. You can go ahead and chat with them on those forums as well. Looking to organize a game or get a game in here in the state of Wisconsin. That's a, the place to look. And you can usually find anything that's going on event wise via that website as well. All right. So I know I've been working on hobby. I've been working on hobby. I saw. I've been working on hobby. So, where did you guys get on your hobby and gaming goals from last time? I like totally met my goal. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. I'm like right exactly where I figured I'd be. I think spring break helped it a bit, but I did throw a pick on Facebook from Wisco Dice. But my ghouls are ready to paint. I actually got like a base layer on a few of them. That's exactly where I expected I would be, but they're all primed and ready to start putting the layers on them. And and I understand you. Not only did you do all that, but you did some reposes and stuff when you were cleaning them up. Yeah, these are the old metal ones I'm talking about. So they were really static and didn't rank up very well, and just kind of looked. They didn't look too interesting as a unit. And then I had so many. There was only so many poses, so a lot of them were exactly the same as why I wanted to repose them too. And once I got into it, it worked out really well, and it just made the unit look a lot more dynamic. They're pretty cool. I'll have to post some pictures of some of the reposes. I was surprised how I hadn't really tried to ever do that with the pewter minis before, but it worked out pretty well. Like I had a few of them break on me, but then I stopped bending them at that point. <laughs> but a lot of the other ones just you could bend them however you wanted. It was pretty neat. 
does help with a like pewter miniatures. The newer the model is, uh-huh. the easier that is. The more malleable that pewter is. It seems the older the older that sits, the older that model gets. It seems like the pewter gets more and more fragile, and I don't know why that is. I don't have a technical reason, but yeah, I'm not sure. But yeah, some of them I would barely touch, and it would like snap off. But then other ones you could like bend it all over the place, and it was pretty cool just to be able to bend them like that rather than having to cut them up to get a repose in there. So yeah, that made it really quick and neat. So I like that a lot. All right, Robert, what'd you get done? I got my knights touched up because of the, the different greens on the armor for the horse and the rider, and I was able to get that so they match, so they look a little better. Uh started working my chosen. Real-life issues came up, so I didn't quite finish them, but I've got a good start on them, so they should be finished well in advance of uh Midwest Rampage. But... I did find a basis for my Kadai conversion. Okay, what what can you tell us about that? Uh, years ago, I'd won a Forge World Greater Chaos spawn at the Anti GT, and I'm going to convert that. I'm going to put it so there's flames coming from it or something, so it looks like it, it's not just a reused model that it's got some extra stuff to it. And I'm going to convert that up to be a Kadai. Could also cross-use it. Granted, it'll be a bigger base, since it'll be on the Kadai base, as the uh, Slaughter Brute for the new Warriors of Chaos. So kind of maybe get a cross-use out of it, which is kind of nice. But it's a model I've been sitting around collecting dust that I want to actually put to use finally. Sure, sure. So that sounds good. That's that's good. Um, Myself, I went ahead and finished up the Corsairs that were on my painting table, those Dark Elf Corsairs. I went ahead and finished up the, I think there was Repeater Crossbowmen that I had, I was just getting close to finishing up the last time. Yeah, I think you finished them right after the other one. Yep, I I finished them right up and I did the 10 Repeater Crossbows. I actually started working on my mobile infantry for my Starship Troopers game that I've got. Um, so I got five of the mobile infantry squad members. I got a, a kind of, it's, it's a pretty basic paint scheme, some grays, blacks, a little bit of metallic on the guns and flesh tone. So it's a real simple paint job. It's not, it's nothing overly complex. Really puts together the speed painting techniques that I, we talked about way back or in, I think it was episode. Like all the time. <laughs> I'm pretty sure speed painting's mentioned every yeah. time we talk about painting. Well. Something about painting as many models as I've painted this year. Yeah. Might have something that... Those are a perfect example of it. I mean, they're really simple. Just yeah, the very, color on them. I mean, there's not much variance for them, so you can just bust them right up. Although we have come a long way since the old dipping. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever actually dipped a model, so... My first VC were. So I've never, I've never done it in any kind of process, and I'm not going to do it this year. I don't care what i got to do, but I will not dip models... <laughs> Uh, I got a little more. I, I have been looking at airbrushing, maybe, but I don't own the gear yet. So uh, you're sure busting stuff out fast enough. I don't think you have to worry about being any faster. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was what been you're looking, doing. I've been looking to get an airbrush um, for terrain making because I, I I feel like that'll work better um, for you know working with the foam and stuff. I don't know for certain, but I, I've been looking for a, a faster paint application for for that than just brushing on paint, especially with getting going for mayhem and and I'd like to have something I can have a little more control when I'm doing the priming process than spray cans. And that I it's kind of, you know, and then I could use it for maybe some more painting too down the road here. So I'm I'm mm-hmm. looking at it. It's not something that's on my radar. Uh or it's on my radar. It's not something I'm probably gonna get anytime 
too soon, nor am I, is it something I'm going to spend tons and tons of time trying to figure out how to actually paint models with. At least not right away. Um, what else did I get done? I got the Starship Trooper guys done. Oh, I finished uh, the two chariots then for my Tomb Kings as well. They're yeah, just finished, finished up. those up. That was painful. <laughs> I really... I, I love the look of chariots on the table, uh, both when I field them and when somebody else fields them. But the paint, the man hours that I have to put in to get one model on the table that's, well, I don't know how many points a Tomb King Chariot is, what, 55 points or some ridiculous little bit of points? Pretty sure. Yep. It's, uh, it's just, it's, it's like, it's, it's a lot of grr. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, it, it's a lot of time painting the same model, you know, trying to get something done, and it's really cool when it's finished, but it's, Oh, that's uh, I, a pretty big chunk of your army too. You said you had all five of them ready been, to go now, which is pretty impressive to have them all painted up like that. I bet yeah, they look pretty awesome. I'm six skeletons away now from having my 2,000 point core. Nice. Unfortunately, that doesn't get me to 2,400 points core, which is I need another for bits for Blood in the Sun, which is my I'm really wanting to try to get the Tomb Kings ready for, and I haven't figured out what I'm going to put on the table to expand for that hundred points of core yet. I, I gotta overcome that hurdle yet. <laughs> it's nice to see real progress coming on the Team Kings. I'm, I'm closing in on, on getting that uh, 2000 point army on the table painted. So I, I'm really kind of stoked. It's, it's been great. And it's been great to work on that while having other little projects I'm working on at the same time. Break it up a little you bit. You know, yeah, break up the monotony of painting the same thing over and over. I think that was something that killed me when I started working on the Beastman last year that really killed me because it was that kind of monotonous. Yeah, you seem to kind of run out in Beastman especially. I mean, they're kind of the same thing over and over. So, yeah, jumping back and forth to these different projects and projects that I'm able to finish up really quickly has really helped me stay focused and stay on point. Definitely didn't slow you down at all. I mean, no, it's, it's been <laughs> great. I don't think I finished up anything else. I, I've started work on. I actually did start work on those six additional skeletons. I've got some more mobile infantry, starship trooper stuff done. Oh, I did actually do one other thing. I actually finished. I finished up some machine gun teams for my American Flames of War too. So cool. I've got I've got that fieldable now as well. And I'm working on putting together some field artillery for the Flames of War now as well. Some, I think, 37 millimeter guns. That's what I've got on the table and putting together. Hmm. I haven't even seen pretty, those yet. Pretty light guns. That being said, I, I don't think I've got anything else. Have any of you guys been playing any games or anything like that going on? I was going to say, I didn't really play anything. We played, well, I guess we played Blood Bowl. Yeah, we last week, the Dark Elves beat the crap out of my Norse, like literally, not in points so much, but they just kicked the crap out of them, <laughs> which was interesting game. It was, was pretty kinda, awful for me. <laughs> kind of the opposite of what you think would happen. Norse would are think a little so, bashier, but... the Dark Elves or the Elves are an agility team, they should... And that was what I did. I was just very agility, very dodgy, yeah. very stay away from you. I'm pretty sure they had knives or something. I, I, they I were killing we... my guys left and right, man. <laughs> we refs didn't check the refs us. checked us they, we didn't have <laughs> ignore the bribe we paid they, we didn't have any weapons on us i don't know skeptical but yeah the few times that i would throw blocks i was getting casualties or knocking people completely off the pitch it was pretty crazy yeah it was still cool though blood bowl is always awesome yep it was a it was a great game it was it was always good to have a game of that it was i think a little frustrating from your side of it because you guys yeah. just didn't seem like they could connect and do anything yeah it was i mean I don't know. It wasn't too bad. I was still had options to score besides your one stall in the first half there, which sucked. But 
Yeah, I did oh, stall well. the first half out. But you probably would have just had more points if you didn't stall. So yeah, <laughs> I don't I, know. It, it, it was the difference between going into the second half with a 1-0 lead and giving you the ball back and potentially going into the second half with a 1-1. Yeah, it's true. I think I scored pretty quick that first when you I finally did, did get the ball. But the second half, yeah. you're like, boom, right down there, three-turn score. But then I lost a bunch of guys, and it was kind of rough. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, had the biggest stretch ever to try and make something happen. But it was fun. All right. So, Robert, you you said you were played a game, didn't you? Played two games. Oh, my goodness. I played a 3,000-point game, uh, both against our Frozen Dark Elf, John Wagner. My first game was 3,000 points of Nurgle, Warriors of Chaos, pure Nurgle, versus his Dark Elves. And that was a test for Midwest Rampage. I wanted to test my list out, see what it, how it was, so- and... So that was no Grand Army, right, then? No, no Grand Army, but otherwise 3,000 points for percentages and everything else. Okay. And I, I think the only I only had one unit in Rare, because I know I didn't have any at Cheddar Bowl, so most of my points are in Core Special, actually. And I tried out the Demon Prince for the first time, and even though I didn't get in a lot of combat, I can see it definitely being very, very effective. I also tested out the Chosen for the first time, and they are worth the points, in my opinion. They are very, very useful, especially being able to choose your ability. The list look is, I'm looking at taking is a pretty tough list, so I'm probably going to stick with it. All right, sounds good. See, so what was the second game? Second game was my Nurgle Demons at 2,400 points because I didn't want to proxy Rot Flies versus his Slanesh Warriors of Chaos. Okay. And that was very, very brutal, and he did not enjoy that game as much because it, my list was really that nasty. Two Plague Bearer hordes of, I think, 40 guys, Great Unclean one, and then some Nurglings, and some Beast of Nurgle for Chaff, and they actually ended up being very effective. They were fighting the Hell Cannon most of the game. It basically became almost points denial with the guaranteed 5-plus poison Basically being a mini automatic Epidemus, it's just a really tough list. Even though my Great Unclean one popped into the warp and he generated a Demon Prince from his caster, it was still basically a steamroller. Sure, sure. I can kind of see how that can go, you know, plus you get mar- the Mark and Nurgle on the Demons is the minus one to hit, right? Yes, correct. So, you know, not only do you have the Denial to hit, but then your 5-up five, five Poison is pretty tough. That's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, two-thirds of your hits are automatically wounding anyways. Anyways, let's go ahead then. I don't I don't think I have any other games I really want to touch on. I did get a couple of games of Warhammer though in myself, but nothing nothing really dramatic or cool. I did actually get my Tomb Kings out on Tuesday night at played a against a new gentleman that came up to the square and he was playing Warriors of Chaos and he had like fifteen hundred points. I think he had a fifteen hundred point list and the best I could do was thirteen hundred points with my Tomb Kings, so I just said, Ah, play it. I took off about 1,300 points in Warriors of Chaos. I just couldn't get the Skullcrusher Knights, and they ended up killing everything but my last Scorpion. And, yeah, that, that was pretty much the game. So, I mean, I felt pretty good. I, I held up. I did that well with down 200 points. I figured if I had two, another 200 points, I might just have won that game. I got <laughs> to say, against Warriors of Chaos, that Casket of Souls is so money. Because that... <laughs> Boom, 3d6 leader checks, because, you know, leader 8, leader 9s, barely. Especially they're running that Demon Prince with wings for a general like he was. 
yeah, that gets out my face and I have nothing really to deal with it with. But then everything else is leadership eight, 3D6, tests, no armor saves. That's just delete, 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 delete models. It was, it was great. It was bouncing like crazy. I'd get two, three bounces every time I cast it. I just deleted stuff left and right. If I didn't have the casket, I would have been like so in trouble that game. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back. We'll go ahead and get into our new segment. Do you want to speed up your games with super accurate measuring and control your dice from flying everywhere? Then Prism Gaming is your place to shop. Do you love beautiful, bold colors and amazing washes with a huge selection of colors? Then Prism Gaming is your place to shop. If you love to game, then you love Prism Gaming. For all of their products and materials, shop www.prismgamer.com. Back, 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 back. I'm back. In the saddle again. That was awesome. <laughs> now uh, I'm picturing you... Arnold Schwarzenegger as a cowboy. <laughs> I could see where you got that reference from. <laughs> all right. Okay, so what, what what's going on here? I think, I'm all confused. I don't know. I'm kind of miffed, too. I think we got something new happening. Yep. I think he died. Did he? Oh, up, up, there we go. We're waiting on you. <laughs> I believe we have the cheese curd here. What the heck's the cheese curd? You're the cheese curd, aren't you? Yeah, it's a, Robert's the cheese curd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> cheese curds. Cheese curds have the cheese curd. <laughs> it's in the what middle the of the show now. <laughs> I thought we kept him locked up till the end. I don't know what, what the... T- but, 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 what, what the... What, what, dude, dude, he's not getting worded edgewise over there. What the cheese curd is, is listeners can submit questions to us via Twitter, or they can email the cheese curd at Wisco Dice. Or you can go ahead and submit those questions on Twitter. You can just hashtag cheese curd, or the cheese curd, and tweet them at Swiss Dictator to pick them up, because he's collecting all of those for us. What are we mm-hmm. going to do with these questions? Well, we're going to discuss them. If they're, we can, if, you know, it's a straightforward answer, we can, Debate the merits, pros, cons, depending on the question. If we're offended, we're just going to throw them out. Yep. <laughs> we're going to take, take, take your questions. Like, that's a ahead. terrible question. Exactly. <laughs> we're we're going to solder them onto a cheese curd and make one of the fans eat it. We're going we're gonna, to, we're basically, we're going to take all the questions, we're going to write them on cheese curds and make Robert eat them. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Never so, again. Oh, yes. It'll happen again. The uh, first question is from my buddy, the Drunk Dan, Dan Rude, okay. whom some of you know from the tournaments for his corn demons, and he's kind of getting tired of playing all these corn demons, so he's looking at Warriors of Chaos, and he's looking at possibly running a Chaos Warrior army that has zero marks, or very little marks, and part of the idea behind that is for him is that also frees up a lot of points so he could get another unit in there or something. Now, he's asking, is this a viable choice? Are, the, are they still worth their points without the mark to improve them? And that's basically the gist of the question. Is that 
unmarked a viable choice. Because unmarked doesn't give you any kind of benefit. They're just they're no yep, benefits. No benefits straight up, at all. Nothing. Just straight up. You're okay. just paying straight up points. I see. Yep. They used to the old book used to get to reroll leadership Pen. checks. Your That's what it was. Them. But now, yeah, you now you don't get anything with them. It's just basic chaos warriors and basic chaos troops. Kind of makes sense. But with BSB, you kind of get a lot of reroll of panics, anyways, and any leadership check for that matter. Yeah, usually if you have that, you wouldn't have to worry about having one otherwise. Yeah, I think this list is completely viable like that. In fact, I would, I would think like that's a perfect fit for the double hell cannon, big chaos warrior blocks, big level four sorcerer type, type build. Because then you can because chimp on the points on your troops and still be able to put, so you can get those extra wounds on the board. Yeah, I think it would work out pretty good. I don't really see any negative side. I mean, you'll save the points and you'll get more stuff from the points. So I, I think the, the little bit the Demon Prince builds and stuff like that, those are a little bit the, where you get less models on the board. You need to get more bang out of the bang for your buck out of them. But like the big Chaos Warrior block units with supported by the double hell cannons and the L4 Sorcerer, that build works perfect with no marks. Oh yeah, I mean. You can either get more models. I mean, he, he's still looking at maybe throwing a unit of Marauders in there, but if he does, he's not going to put a mark on him just to save the points because he's going big. Um, if, otherwise, you can add a whole other unit, which if you think about threat potential, having another unit being able to move somewhere else just forces your opponent to spread out more or you can exploit more opportunities as a result. Yeah, I think more guys is always a good thing. Yeah. More I mean- models. I mean, you look at it, it's almost two points per model for, like, say, the Mark of Corn or Mark of Nurgle or something like that. Well, that, yeah, when you're putting, you know, 20 guys in a block, that's a pretty good chunk of points. You know, or say the Nurgle blo- or the Marauder blocks, you put pl- two points for a mark on, say, Marauders. You got 50 guys, you know. that's a lot of points. Yeah. That's 100 points in, in Mark. That's, you know, you could have just, you know, for 100 points, that's three units of Chaos Hounds. So there's yeah, a lot you- of, a lot of room there if you take a, for a, a good list, a competitive list. Mm-hmm. Are there any units you think really need a mark to work? Like I think you were saying with the Demon Prince. I think the Demon Prince gets, is one of those things where in the the low model count armies, like that Demon Prince, you really need him to stick around. So he kind of really, but he really benefits from having a mark, like a Mark of Nurgle or the or the Mark of Zinch or something like that. But the other, the other, you know, that kind of list where you're where you're small or really low on the model count, that's where where you struggle to, where you need your stuff to always perform and and to guaranteed performance out of it. That's where the marks I think kick in a little bit better, and they're better buy for the points at that point. So like chariots or knights as well. I wouldn't necessarily say that on the chariots. I mean, I can see you going undivided chariots. The knights, though, that's definitely a, a good spot for marks. It, it doesn't make them unviable to not have a mark, but uh, when you're paying 10 points to upgrade a unit to minus one to hit, say for five knights, that's mm-hmm. awesome. I mean, that's a really good investment for your points, for your bang, you know. I have a question kind of off of his question. Do you think, if he's sick of his corn demons, do you think it's going to be a big enough change? For him, like a different play style at all, switching to undivided mortals. Uh, I think it will definitely be different for him. I know he's not doing the corn, so he's not having to worry about the frenzy. He's gonna have to worry about psychology a lot more because he's used to not caring about fear or panics at all. I mean, that'll be a little new for him. He first played warriors when we first were playing, so he's done it before, but it's been years. 
Yeah. So I think with it being eighth edition and having to switch, I think that's where he might have a, the initial challenge. I, th- I think there's definitely a huge dynamic difference there with warriors that you can have. Um, because you can do the chaff game. It's easier to get a level four wizard actually in the list. Um, uh, mm-hmm. because you need basically in the demon codex right now, you've got to take a greater demon. Um, there's the magic component, you know, playing an all core demons, you don't play with magic. And now all of a sudden you have a magic component you can play with. So there's a lot of things. Mm-hmm. The chaff game is better. Well, I guess the current book, you got furies or you can really put really good furies on the board, which are, are possibly the best, some of the best chaff in the game, but, you know, Chaos Hounds and Broader, Fast Cav and whatever. You've got some chaffing up. You can do, you can do some, a lot of things and you get more. I think the Warriors of Chaos is a, is a list that you can get more units on the board than you can with, really with a demon list. It feels like I more agree. variety of them, more yeah. types. Definitely variety. That makes sense. I know, Especially if you restricted yourself to one. I know for brand him specifically, demon. he wants to do, definitely run with a fair amount of magic this time around because he doesn't have that with the demons. Yeah, even that would be a big change, I guess, going from no magic to magic at all. Yeah. L4, double hell cannon, and that's a huge difference, I think, for him than what he was doing before. So, definitely. All right, let's go ahead and move into the next question. Let's keep this moving. All right, the next question is from one second. My iPod went to sleep. It's from Ross Daniel Day Baker, and it's a two-part question. Okay. View on Skulltaker having been hit in the face by the nerf truck, and what do we think of Karanax hunting wizard's ability? I don't know what either of that means. Okay, Skulltaker, <laughs> let's go ahead and just do a quick recap of who Skulltaker is. Skulltaker I know who is the a guy special is. special character for the Demon Codex, and I'm not sure what the nerf is, so why don't you go ahead and fill us in on what the supposed nerf or why people think he's nerfed, Robert. He didn't actually go into details... I think maybe he used to have a five plus killing blow in okay. challenges, and I can't. Remember, I think it was just a regular killing blow in the old in the old book. Correct me if I'm wrong. I thought he had a five up killing blow in challenges before. And so I mean, does he have yeah, that he now? A, no, now he has he has heroic killing blow in a challenge. I don't really think that's a nerf then. It's kind of hard to get a benefit from, I guess. I think that could be a plus. I mean, if you've got, like, if you're fighting a demon prince and you roll that six and they fail their ward, that's pretty big. Yeah, I guess it would be pretty handy. I I, I guess a little bit of that comes into whether your environment allows special characters or not as well. Um, But I also think that that getting hero killing blow is really a big plus because you're looking at a character that's now getting... Uh, especially in a meta of the game, in our, at least in our uncomped environment, where more and more monster riding characters are on the board, that seems like a big deal now to get that versus the five up killing blow. So, I, oh, I think also ogres are still very popular, and being able to killing blow a tyrant is pretty big. Exactly, yeah, that's true. Killing blow is one of my favorite things. I really miss my five up. Uh, White King from a few <laughs> editions ago. That was one of my favorite guys. But Hero Killing Blow is extra awesome. I think that's a really cool ability. Yeah, because you, you play that with the Bretts a bunch. So. Yep, but Boromir always has that, my general. <laughs> 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 it's just a cool ability. So, yeah, I I, th- I think that's fine. I don't think there's... I had, I don't know of anything else that's really that much changed with him. The, is he went up a bunch of points or something that really made him different? 
Um, his points, granted, I'm kind of going off memory for the old points. He is, seems like an, the price you would expect, 200 points. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think that's fine. He's a hero level character that's probably not quite as good at popping off infantry and normal cavalry characters, but, uh, being able to pop off those ogre characters, which are huge in the, in everybody's meta right now, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, ogres are, uh, still a really tough, t- tough army, one of the, the top tier armies, and then you've got a couple of other, you know, situations like the Pegasus Riders that everybody seems to be fielding that can, and things like that that you, you would want to be able to killing blow that now all of a sudden you can't because they're on those steeds like that, and now you, and now you have a guy that you can put in your army that kind of can't open or those. It makes people double check or think about bringing in, like, say, their, their Dreadlord on Pegasus into a unit like that. So, I think that's, mm-hmm. I don't think it's a complete gimp. So what's the second part of that question? What what do we think about Karanak's ability to hunt wizards? Who's okay. Karanak? He, yeah, who is he? <laughs> Karanak is basically a special... It used to be a u- special unit champion. Now he's just a flat-out special character. This is still It's basically yes. a flesh hound gone uber. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, he's got like the double heads or something like that as the model, right? Yeah, and, you know, his stat line is... Even though he's basically a glorified dog, his stat line is better than many characters in the game. Oh, yeah. I, I, flesh hounds are pretty good to begin with already. Flesh so. hounds are have gotten, I think, amazingly better even in the new demon book. So, but oh, yeah. this character, I, I don't know. I don't buy into the fact that he's anything super special or that abilities. I think he's that ability to... is secondary to what the character is. What's he get in hunting it, wizards? Prey of the Blood God. At the start of the game, before deployment, nominate one character in the enemy army. This is the quarry of corn that Karanak has come to claim. Karanak rerolls fail to hit into wound rolls against the chosen character. Doesn't matter to me at all. Yeah, it's not a huge deal. I mean, it's only one guy in your whole army. And if it's, it's only a wizard, too, then? Yeah. Because, I mean, usually people protect their wizards pretty well anyway, so. Yeah, it, it, it's a flesh hound unit, so it's going to be tough to, to get him where, you know, it's... It the, doesn't have to be a wizard, actually. Oh, really? Just any character? Yeah. That makes a little more sense, but I don't know. Those, that's kind of like an extra thing, but I don't think it's really a big deal at all, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's handy if you happen to line up with them, but I think if you're concentrating on that, yeah. it's not He's, really going to be a I big think, deal. <laughs> I think you're taking this guy for a completely different reason than yeah. his special ability, and that just happens to be... uh Oh, hey, he just happens to have this too. Okay, well, that's nice, cause he's something like five attacks or something like that. I had to fight him when Dan, or Drunk Dan played him against me, and that, that little unit of flesh hounds that he joined was just crazy nasty mm-hmm. for me to you know, be able to deal with, and he pumped out in particular a lot of attacks. So, this ability, really secondary, I, I really don't oh. care. I, it's, it's fine, it's nice to have, it's flavorful, but, uh, I don't know if I care about it. The other the other aspect that's anti-wizard is a different ability. In addition, any enemy wizard that suffers a miscast within 12 inches of Karanak takes a strength 10 hit immediately before the miscast result is resolved. Now that's far better than this up than the the picking out a character. It's ability. definitely a lot better, but still that's a well, very that's, small that's, coincidence. Well, that's, <laughs> that's a really because happen. you can ambush the, you right can there. ambush him. Okay. Because the flesh hounds can ambush now, so you just okay, I ambush him and I, hopefully I get that early turn 2 or turn 3 ambush. Now I'm in your backfield where I'm within range of, say, you know, two or, you know, all of your wizards probably because if I'm, you know, come up in the center of your backfield, 
I'm probably within 12 inches of every caster you got. I guess that makes sense. Big bubble. Yeah, and I mean, that's definitely going to kill a hero level wizard more often than not. Especially if they're they're taking a strength 10 on the miscast. And if it's a hero, and if it's a hero, especially, they're almost guaranteed to die unless they roll that one or. Pretty often, yeah. Or they roll a seven and everyone else is hit or something. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty nice little ability. It definitely makes your opponent think twice about how many dice to throw on for spells and, and, and changes that up. And if you can get them to change the way they're casting so they're not just six dying spells, uh, that, I think that's an advantage to you. So, mm-hmm. so, all right. Uh, th- that was all the questions we had this time. I think, yeah, I think that is all the ones we've had this time. Okay. So make sure you get your, your, questions in for next time for the cheese curd and robert will be happy to go ahead and jump those on us and we'll get our thoughts it's your chance to interact and give us some some actual questions and direction so we'll give you our thoughts all right so folks we're getting ready to go to a tournament or we had been and we wanted to you know brian this is kind of your first travel what was it was on your first travel tournament but i know you talked a little bit about like what kind of stuff i needed to bring go into a tournament what how do you you know what what's kind of expected that kind of thing so from a player experience we wanted to go ahead and talk a little bit about going to a tournament what kind of things are needed? What kind of things are expected? What do you need to do or bring? Um, so, Brian, let's go ahead and start off with you. Going to a tournament, what do you think now, like going to a Cheddar Bowl, and I know you've been uh-huh. to tournaments here in town, but what, do, what kind of things do you think you have to bring with you, obviously, uh, besides the obvious things like your army? Yeah, I've never been, like, huge into them, so I think that's... I don't know, my point of stress is like, they're not really a huge deal if you don't make it a huge deal. I mean, you can still go and have fun, but you don't have to, that was a big thing for me. I was thinking if I'm going to a tournament, I want to be there to win kind of thing and missing the social aspect of it. So, I mean, I get to go and play all these guys I don't regularly play, which is really cool. But as far as what you need to bring, I, everything you need to play the game, I think is really expected of you. I mean, you should have all your models, no proxies in there. I mean, you can have models that count as the same thing, but you just can't have proxies for sure. So you should have all your miniatures, should have all your rules, all your gaming supplies, templates, everything you need. I don't think you should be expecting to borrow stuff at a tournament for sure. Also, if they say you need five, five army lists, I always try to print off one more. So that way, in case you lose a copy, you still have that extra copy. Yeah, that's definitely a thing. Pay attention to what the tournament requires if you need any extra models in there. Army lists, not all the time do you have to exchange them, but usually it's a good courtesy just to have a list to give your opponent if they want one. I guess usually you do have to turn one in, so you should have that ready. And make sure you're playing what's on your army list. <laughs> it's a good check for a tournament for sure, because you don't want to mess yeah. something up. It's kind of a big deal. My first core comp, I forgot my great Taurus for my Chaos Taurus, and I ended up having to borrow Dan's Bloodthirster to proxy for it, and it was a little embarrassing. And not to mention that, you know, in some events, I've, I can see where the uh, player may go, that's not cool that you use that against me, and or a TO rule that you can't use that. Uh huh. So. Yeah. The, damn, it was just on the tip of my tongue, too. There's one thing. Ah. Anyways, uh. <laughs> oh! Okay, go ahead. <laughs> one, one thing, and John Wagner's been doing this, and I actually paid him to make me a cop set too, is 
for terrain, not all, some tournaments like Wapakino and a few others, they'll have the list of the terrain and the rules for it, but you can't always expect that. So in the past, I had a little PDF, which I can send to you and you can post on the Wisco Dice site if you want, that has basically a summary of all the terrain and their rules, including, you know, for rolling purposes. But what John's done, which is a little nicer, and it takes a little bit of time to do, but if you can do it, I highly recommend it, is he's written the name of the terrain and their rules on these cards that he can set next to things so that everybody knows, can remember, can check without having to flip through the book because it's really annoying trying to scroll through all those terrain rules to find out what each little thing does. Whereas with those cards, you can just instantly know and not even care about the name of it. Sure. And if you can get if you can get something like that, even if it's just that little chart like I have, that's better than nothing. Yeah, it's kind the of cool thing to have step like, better. all huh? the time. It's kind of a cool thing to have like all the time and not necessarily just for a tournament. It's oh just yeah, kind of I mean, it's, even in casual games, it's amazing. It's sped up setting up terrain tremendously. So that's always a useful kind of thing to have. Um, Getting into what folks really need to make sure that they bring to the tournament, obviously, you need to bring uh, bring your army, you need to bring a writing utensil is a, a big thing that people forget. Um, I'd always say to bring two, uh, because you almost always end up, somebody else will ask to borrow yours or whatever, and the next thing you know, your pen walks off. Or Right. Uh, a spare tape measure is a big one. I learned that early, like the third or fourth travel tournament I went to, my tape measure busted on round two. It was, <laughs> really? it was a three-round tournament. I, you know, so then, it, you know, the rest of that round plus uh, round three, I, either, I had to borrow a tape measure from somebody, and I got lucky the TO had an extra one there. But that's not always the case. You know, you go to, like, an Adepticon where you're there for two days or three days or four days of tournament play or, you know, Warhammer play, gameplay, and say you get there on Thursday and you're, you know, playing in one of the how-you-use-its and your tape measure breaks. Well, guess what? You're, <laughs> you're running down to the vendor hall that's hopefully find a tape measure and somebody can sell you because otherwise you're you're going to be have a real rough weekend. You're going to be running to a hardware store or something at some point trying to get an extra tape measure. So uh, mm-hmm. having the extra tape measure is a big one. I've found personally that I, th- I think it's a, kind of a neater requirement. At least throw it in your car. I find that I just leave two or three extra tape measures in my car wherever I go now. Yeah, every vehicle we own, we've got like two or three tape measures in, so <laughs> I've always got a spare, you know, wherever I'm at. Yeah, that's um, kind of something you don't really think about normally, but well, it would be a really big deal. Putting them in the, the car. One of the things I have is, I used to have the old satchel, now I kind of have like a little briefcase where I can keep all my books, rosters, wound markers, templates, everything together, so that way they're all there, so I can just grab it and go before a tournament, I usually double-check it. But if you have that and you're keeping everything consistently there, even when you're at home, it's going to make your life a lot easier than trying to round it up the night before a tournament, too. Sure. Uh, another big one is all the templates. I, I can't tell you how often I go to tournaments and folks don't have the templates, including myself. Yeah, it's pretty then, obnoxious. And then you get like a miscast result that requires a three inch template, or you get a miscast result that requires a five inch template, and nobody, and you're like, uh, I don't have one. Oh, crud, you don't have one either? Oops. Now you gotta know. go bug somebody else for one. I can see, okay, I don't have a flame template in my army, I don't have a breath weapon or something like that, not bringing that one, but everybody should have a spare three inch and a five inch. And because of the miscast. It, because of the miscast results. And on top of that, I would tell you to put your initials or put your name on it. 
on your copies because those things get passed around and it, it always happens. Doesn't matter what tournament I go to, by the time by the time you're done, somebody's misplaced or lost or swapped or traded. So if you put your initials on it, that'll that'll help you too. Mm-hmm. Also, artillery dice. Now, granted, not everybody uses it, but you may there may be a spell or something where you need it, whether it's from you or someone else. It's just good to have around. Yep, an artillery and a scatter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely the scatter. More so, I think the scatter. Yeah, it's 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 a little bit. If you're gonna bring one, bring both. Well, yes, um, but those are things you can kind of anticipate. It's always good to have a spare set, just because somebody again inevitably forgets stuff, and it's nice to be able to go. Oh, hey, I got an actual one here you can use for ten dollars. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a sporting thing to do. I mean, it makes your yeah, kind sure. of feel cool, and you know, it helps. Yeah. It's a nice icebreaker when they when they've forgotten their stuff. Um, copies of your list. Don't bring hand co- handwritten copies of your list. Always print your copies of your list. Have them typed. You know, print out an army builder copy or whatever it might be. You know, it, just don't bring. You know, it's an Excel spreadsheet copy of your list. Whatever it is, make sure that it's clear. The points values for everything's clearly there. It's very big to a lot of people. Don't think it's a big deal, and we've gotten a pretty tight circle of gamers, but it. It, I do feel it's important for you after you're done playing a game to exchange lists and to at least eyeball down the person you were playing against list to make sure that what they put on the table was what they said they were playing with on their list and what was submitted to the TO because I, I, I don't know anybody that's done it and I don't think anybody I know or anybody in the tournament scene that I go to or go here in the Midwest would do that kind of thing. Okay, so anyways, we were talking about the, having your printed lists. Having printed lists and, and double checking your opponent's lists after the games. You don't have to like be th- super thorough or anything like that, but just an eyeball down and make sure that, oh yeah, they definitely had a Damon Prince and they definitely had this and they definitely had that on the table. Okay, that's good. Bim, done. Good. You, you definitely played with what you said you had. Yeah, if you are printing your list, your spells, especially if you use Army Builder, you'll often and catch a mistake so you're not playing hello? with something all day that you shouldn't have had. That is like cheating, pretty much, even though you didn't mean well, to. But if your points also, are also when you, if I if I'm playing, and let's say first round at Blood and the Sun, I end up playing ogres, and not only that, but going over your opponent's list, you get a better understanding of that army in general. So if you face another ogre army down the road, you might be a little more prepared to fight that army because it might have some similar things that you didn't think of in general, or specifically for the current meta, the way things are. With the latest army updates, sometimes that can give you a better perspective for fighting that army down the road, too. All right. One other thing that I'd like to bring in is a requirement for you to bring if you're going to a tournament for the first time is some kind of display board or board to carry your stuff around the, the venue once you complete your turn or once you complete each round. Uh, at, any, at any tournament you go to, you're going to have to move around tables throughout the day and having, I've seen people where they have to like haul a unit or two at a time in their hands from table to table. There, that is frustrating for them, frustrating for the people that are in the tournament hall with you, and frustrating for your opponent because they've got to wait that extra amount of time for you to haul your stuff over. Even mm-hmm. if it's, you know, it puts, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. It uh, could be if you're using the plastic storage totes, just set your stuff on top of the tote when you're done and move that between tables. Serving or, tray. Serving tray, a small board, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be 
anything fancy. You could make it elaborate. You can make an elaborate and fancy display board too, but something to transport your stuff from table to table will save you time, will ease up frustration time for your opponents and for the people in the tournament hall. So it's a big thing to remember, especially if you're, you know, you have, you know, cause that's something you don't have when you're going down to the game store and you're playing your pickup games. You, nobody ever has display boards and stuff like that for that. That's, so that's something that's really big that's different than your normal pickup game that you need to make sure that you bring along with. Also, if you can get a name tag for it, whether, even if it's just a piece of wood that you burn it in with a, some tool, something where they can see this is your army. There's more and more tournaments that are making that a point for your appearance. So just for that alone. That's Plus, locally here anyways. Huh? That's, that's at least locally here in the Midwest. Yeah. Plus, even... It, you may not think your army's best, but there might be someone who does. And seeing your army name, they might be able to look at it and say, hey, I'm going to vote for that guy. Or if your opponents are going around trying to remember, what was the name of that guy round two of a, of a two-day tournament, they can go to your army, see your name, and they might put you high on the sportsmanship, too, because they enjoyed your game. Yes, for backfilling that for... For players, any any tournament that has players' choice voting, or where they're doing rank your opponents at the end of the tournament, or where they're doing uh, any kind of appearance scoring, it's very useful for the people for your not only your opponents but but for the tos to be able to quickly identify. Okay, those are Robert's models, or those are Brian's models. So some kind of name tag or plaque to go along with even even uh, a copy of your army list always set out and displayed with your name on it uh, next to your armies. In fact, that's another one that I, I when you're talking about printed copies of your lists, put your name on your list. <laughs> it's not that complicated. It's something that a lot of people don't do. Just from a TO perspective, getting army lists on the day of submitted to you so that you're trying to validate. Uh, who's this guy's list? He didn't put his name on it. Okay, well, I've got a stack of ten armies here. Uh, who's playing... And three of them are playing Warriors of Chaos, so now I gotta try to sort out who didn't put their name on the list of those three Warriors of Chaos players. So, but that's the same thing goes to your opponent. They're going back through with maybe like the end of the four or five rounds of the tournament and trying to figure out who, okay, I'm gonna rank my sportsmanship. I played against these three guys. I've got their lists. And this guy here doesn't put it, didn't put his name on his list. Crud. Who is he? Uh, 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 not gonna feel Oh, they're his army. There's his name tag, maybe. Yeah. So put your name on your list. Put your name near your army when you put it out for display. It really helps everybody at the event, both TOs and the, your fellow players. And it may help your scores too. So I think that's a pretty good rundown of the stuff you need to bring as a player. I know that was something I know Brian had talked about with me a little bit before Cheddar Bowl about, like, you know, what kind of stuff do I need to bring? So it was something I thought it was good good point when we're going into our tournament show about running and building a tournament and doing a tournament to kind of talk about a little bit so that you can have set some expectations for players and what they're kind of supposed to bring so that when we get into what you need as a tournament organizer, you can cover that. We can cover that a little bit better, too. Yeah, it's definitely a good cover to the basics. There's a lot of room to go above and beyond for yourself if you're planning to show up and win this thing. Like, go over all your appearance scoring, make sure all your stuff's painted to whatever quality you want, like playing scenarios and stuff like that if they're available. There's a whole lot of room for prep there, too, but that's all above and beyond just for your own thing, not just what's re- required. Yeah, and you can get into, like, oh, having printed copies of the FAQs and and all those other kind of things. But those are 
At least have the FAQ of your army, generally. Yeah, I don't even have that. I, I wouldn't even think that's a real requirement. Most of the time, I would say nine times out of ten, the going back to the actual rule book, yeah, it happens, but not as much as you'd think. You know, if you know your rules pretty good, you're probably not going to the rule book very much. And in all, all honesty, in a time tournament game, the more you're going to your rule book, the more you're at a disadvantage because that time you're spending looking up something is time that you weren't throwing dice or playing the game. So uh, just from a personal standpoint on tournament play, I think it's better to try to drive and get through your games. And if you're not sure on a rule, unless you're both really not sure on a rule, go with whatever mm-hmm. ruling somebody's pretty sure on. If they say they're <laughs> 90% sure on this way this goes, just go, okay, I'll go with it. Because even if that's against what you thought it was, unless it's going to break your back in the game, just because it means your game keeps moving. Because as soon as you, you know, as soon as you stop the game to pick up to look at the rule book, that's two, three, five minutes to let you losing on that game. So I, I've never found any instance personally where taking the FAQs to a tournament was worthwhile. But you, it's something worth mentioning to bring if if you're the kind of guy that wants that kind of stuff to make sure that you have it brought with. Now it's time for the Gaming Spotlight. Okay, so today on the Gaming Spotlight, we're going to go ahead and talk about the game Lords of Waterdeep. This is a board game built in the Dungeons & Dragons game world of the Forgotten Realms. And that's about as much Dungeons & Dragons or Forgotten Realms or anything D&D that it really has anything to do with it. Right, Brian? Yeah, locale. That's about it, which is kind of irrelevant to the actual gameplay. But There's there's some fluff on the cards, and the board has Waterdeep locations. But really, this is a worker placement game that's a very light version, it feels like, of like an Agricola. Something Um, like that. So you basically, you're a... uh, uh, a lord. Yeah, you know, lord of Waterdeep <laughs> that you're uh, recruiting adventurers to uh, complete quests and you send them on quests that you obtain through the game and, and then you score points via completing those quests as well as a few other mechanisms to get points and the person with the most points at the end of I think eight, rounds. eight rounds or nine yep. rounds or something eight like rounds. that. Eight rounds wins the game. So... Uh, you, you have each time you have a little agent that you can send out to do work somewhere in the city, and there's a mechanism that you can build additional buildings, and your lord has a top secret little agenda that only you know that scores you some end of the game victory points as well. So overall, the game is a lot of fun. Yeah, it's really fun. It's pretty quick and easy to pick up i mean there's not much explanation for it you just kind of get into it uh, like i played with you the first time last week and i didn't have any problem diving right in i even won our game ha yeah <laughs> no, it was uh it, there's definitely uh it's not very it's very uh if you like strategic games but you don't like uh or you know really complex games you know it's a lighter a lighter game where you're looking at trying to get some of those gamers in your gaming group that are kind of uh on the side of trying to get into a board gaming you know into a little bit more hardcore board game uh this is a really good game to get them into that like here here's a great intro to worker placement so then maybe the next worker placement game that you pick up is is gonna be uh maybe agricola agricola (laughs) or something like that we've talked about agricola before on the show a couple of times so 
Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of really good games out there like this, but this is a great kind of intro, and it's a good way to get like those maybe an RPG group into doing a, a more strategic game like this. So, if, if one of the board games I absolutely detest is Settlers of Catan, you cannot get me to play that game. I just you won't. I hated it that much. If I hated Settlers of Catan, will that will I enjoy this game still? Completely different type of game. Settlers of Catan is is uh, kind of random in how that works, and there's a trading and a social component. This is you. You literally have an agent. You deploy your agent somewhere on the board, and you get material. You get adventurers that allow you to complete quests, and that's basically the game in a nutshell, right there. Yeah, each placement of your guys, you're getting resources, which is those different kind of adventures to complete your quests. There are the play. There is player interaction still, though. There, there's there's a there is an intrigue mechanism, which is the only real way you interact with your other players, other than the fact that like when you place your agent, aside from blocking them, yeah. yeah you, when you place your agent on something, like say I place my agent on uh, Waterdeep Harbor. And I put it in the first first agent spot. Nobody else can place their agents in that first agent block so spot. So I I am the only person that gets to use that action. Now on top of that, the only other way to uh, to monkey with your other the other people that are playing this game is through the use of intrigue cards, which are used during when you place agents on on the Waterdeep Harbor. And they have different things where you might force opponents to discard. Uh, a, a certain a certain adventurer type, say like warriors, you have to get rid of one white cube off of your board, or you have to, you know, or you're, you know, for each person that can't do this, you get four points or something like that. Yeah, it seemed like there was kind of endless variety in the intrigue cards with what they do. I mean, not any two of them were quite exactly the same, that's for sure, and they all seemed to offer a little different things. A lot of them gave you like. A bonus. That's what most of mine did, where like a bonus to your own play, where if you like played it, you get to place another uh, worker guy or whatever kind of thing, and extra abilities that way was kind of cool. So this is very, it's very much different than a, like a Settlers of Catan. There's no dice. There's no the random aspects are very limited, and basically how the card decks are shuffled. Um, there is three card decks, so there is a bit of randomness off of that, but. Overall, really good game. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It didn't take too long to play either. I think it was no, like an hour and a half. And we had three players playing. It took about an hour and a half, and that included teaching the game. It doesn't really get any longer for more players either, does it? Was it still pretty short? No, it's still pretty. It's pretty short because it, when you get when you add more players to the game, they get less agents to work with. So that kind of counteracts the the amount of time that's needed. Uh, I mean, there's probably a li- probably like I've played with five players that all know the game that all knew the game. That was easily an hour and a half of gameplay, which is a great game also for like a say a a weekday evening or something like that, where you have, everybody has to go to work the next day. For sure. Okay, so let's go ahead here and take a break. And when we come back, we'll go ahead and get into our main topic material. What what what's that place? The last the last circle, the the last triangle. No, wait, the last square. That's what it is. The last square located on O'Dana Road. Have you been there? Yeah. Yeah, they have the huge selection of miniatures. Everything from 5 millimeter scale all the way up to 25, 28, everything you could imagine. Yeah, it's the basically the war game store of Madison, Wisconsin. 
with every wargaming need you can just about imagine or think you wanted and a lot of things you didn't even know you wanted. Exactly. They also have model railroads and rockets. All sorts of good stuff for the geek in ya. All right. And if you can't get to the square, you can always check them out on their website, thelastsquare.com. Exactly. And we are back. You must be a professionally trained vocalist, aren't you? <laughs> oh, yes. Do you moonlight as an opera singer? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Nah, opera, no. I do enjoy listening to a good opera, though. Your own opera? Not my own opera, no. <laughs> not that. I, I've got a lot of ego over here, but not quite that much. What about orc opera? Orcs is the best. Wagon. <laughs> All right, what are we talking about, Ben? Okay, we're going to go ahead and talk about the fact that it's great. You've decided that you want to run a tournament. Holy cow. What do you do next? I think the first thing, that there's a couple of initial decisions you've got, you've got to make once you've decided to run a tournament. And first off is the size of the event that you want to run and the type, the style of the event. Do you, you know, is this going to be, you want, this to be a fluff bunny event do you want this to be a hardcore event where people are bringing hardcore lists do you want fully this to painted be, you know yeah is, is fully painted important to you uh those kind of things so you you want to decide all of those kind of things up front those are your kind of your initial tournament details and these are the kind of things that as a player you're probably looking at and going okay is this this is some of the things is, am i choosing you know, do I go to this tournament over like Brian? You, when you're a player, the tournament requires painted armies. Dang. Yep. <laughs> Not going. Next year, I'll be all over it. Hopefully. Hopefully. Keeping I've heard up that with that for challenge. Years now. <laughs> Nuh-uh. It's a challenge this year, man. It's getting done. All right. So, but there, there is that. And then there's, you know, say, uh, the Hard Boys was an exact, excellent example of, of a tournament that was very, very hardcore type gameplay. So you brought the hardest nose lists that you could bring and, and that was what you did. And as well as there's, you know, the options, well, do you maybe we allow allies in this tournament? Do we allow special characters? Which compact are we going to use? Are we going to use a compact? Um, you know, compact would be a composition pack, some kind of rule set that changes the, what people can take in their lists from the, from the base. Uh, rules that are in provided from Games Workshop. Or like Rampage and Screw City, if you're doing 3,000 points, do you allow the Grand Army rules or not? Exactly. The, all these kind of things are go into the kind of style, shaping the style and the event, and possibly the type of players that you want to come to your event as well. So that's always kind of the first thing you want to go over and decide and get lay that out as kind of the foundation, as well as the number of players that you're going to be looking to try to have at your event as well. This comes into important comes into a, a real important point when we start talking about budgeting the event, and this is something I see a lot of people launching their first tournament that they just ignore. How do they ignore it? Is it like a like? Do you need money? Are you talking about putting money in yourself? Well, like what you're going to charge people and what you're going to do with that? Or? That's part. That's a big portion of it. Um, but a big portion of it is is thinking about well. What's it going to cost uh, for my venue? What's it going to cost 
for, you know, printed materials? What's this going to cost? You know, I'm going to have to give myself lunch. Do I have to have staff that are going to have to support me as well? You know, also, what am I going to get them? Also, choosing this? a location, is it going to be a location that's going to be easily accessible to our if people need to stay the night, if, even if it's a one day, they might stay one night. Are there reasonably priced places nearby for the type of event you're running, oh, yeah. as well as for food as well? That's that's definitely worth taking into account for location decisions. But it's for budgeting your event. It, eh, I, I I think less about the that portion of it when I'm budgeting the event because I'm thinking about it for the TO perspective of budgeting. Okay. Not, oh, yeah. not the player perspective. That's kind of a player making a decision. Do I want to go to that event? So that you, I can use that to market my event by having cheap housing and or cheap hotels and and that are nice and and food. But the budgeting things like surprise supports another thing that you got to consider. That's you know? probably the biggest thing. Most of your money goes mm-hmm. for, isn't it? Usually, uh, it depends. It depends. Not like quite. mayhem and the prize support is very minimal. And, you know, I only buy plaques. It's the only prize support for the actual tournament. Um, all of the Mayhem money goes into, all of the money left over at Mayhem goes into buying product that goes for the charity raffle. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that, it depends on the type of it that goes into that. I, what kind of style of event? So we take Mary Mayhem as an example. I chose to run, I'm choosing to run a, a tournament that's to drive the charity of Toys for Tots. And to drive that charity, we do a charity raffle. So every dime that's left over spare, plus money out of my own pocket, goes into that charity raffle. And that's part of budgeting that event as well, is how much money out of pocket can I afford to put into this thing up front? Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, how much money can I afford to put into this thing you know, the day of, yeah, sure, I can slop a $15 price tag on a per head basis for a one day, three game, three round tournament. Then I decide, oh, well, I'm going to have lunch and I'll pay for that. And oh, I'm going to do this, you know, $200 of the price support. And then 10 people show up and <laughs> I spend more money on food trying to feed those people than, and I have no money left over for price support. So it's important to try to, if you didn't budget, you know, all of a sudden now I'm, you know, Crud, I said I was going to give away this $200 in prize support. Now I'm going to whip it out of my it's own out pocket. Of your pocket yeah. And I wasn't prepared for that. So, crud, now I'm broke for the next two weeks. You know, or mm-hmm. I wasn't able to buy my stuff for myself. It, so it's important for you to take a look at how much money and where the money's going and how are you going to pay for everything, what you need, what all the requirements are that you need, and get that all kind of lined up. Um, as I said, it's one of something I've seen a lot of people that are Starting starting to launch a tournament for the first time, uh, really kind of go uh, ad lib it and and think that it's going to be okay. And the next thing you know, you're in a heap of trouble. <laughs> they're in a heap of trouble, or the prize support that they intended to give away was a lot less than they thought it was going to be, or they end up pricing the event when they start adding up the money. They price the event so that it's so far out of place for what anybody can afford to go to that they chase people away from wanting to go to their event because of that. So there's a lot of that that can kind of go into play. So I don't know, saying that, I know this is kind of a portion of running a tournament that neither of you guys have a lot of experience with probably because you've not launched an event completely from the ground. But I know, like, Robert, you were trying to put together that one, and you were going to do it at, like, a hotel. I was going to do it on the, at the student center on campus, actually. 
Okay, so you know what do you you know you were looking at? Were you paying for venue costs or? Yeah, the venue costs. I it was cheaper because I'm a student here, so I think it was about forty dollars for a one day event just for me to have the space for the setup, tear down of the tables, and that's just the space and they're setting up the tables. And that's, that's an incredibly low cost venue. Yeah, I mean. for that's incredibly low, which is why I was going to run it on on campus plus. The nice thing about having it on campus here is just downstairs, you can go get a burger or a beer. Which is also nice. I mean, you're taking that account when you're choosing your venue and location, you know, that kind of things like food. That's where we get into look, choosing your location, choosing your venue. Kind of comes into marketing your event a little bit because it, it allows some things. But it also, I think, is part of... What style of event do you want to run? If it's if it's a little bit more of a social event where you want, or if it's an event where people are going to have to lay over for a, for a, a day because it's a two day event, you know, taking that, you know, taking those kind of things into consideration help out your event as well. Hmm. I mean, and for terrain, I was gonna do a lot of easy terrain. Forests are pretty easy to make. Walls are pretty easy to make. Uh, there's the one orky piece of terrain, the Idol of Gork, which, if you remember from the old, was it Skull Pass, the little tent? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I was going to use those. I mean, I know Eric Lenz gave me a, a few of those just, you know, to help me set up the event because I was looking for them. And, I mean, things like that, you can find very easy ways to lower your cost. But I was also going to do, similar to what Rampage does, if people brought terrain for a table they're going to get bonuses to their appearance score or, or sportsmen. You can get bonuses to their points for bringing terrain and basically alleviating burden on you in a way. Yeah, I, I think that's an important thing. I hadn't really thought about that for budgeting the event, but that is an important aspect as well. And when you get into those materials costs, you know, if you're, if you're starting a tournament yourself and you're going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to host, 20 people at this tournament. Well, that's 10 tables of terrain that you've got to have. And that terrain, that's an extra expense for your tournament. That's kind of a hidden cost. Yeah, sure. I can recoup, I can use that terrain maybe for the next four or five events that I run, you know, for the next four or five, 10 tournaments or whatever it'll last for. But that's, if I don't have it, you know, that's, material costs that I'm going to have to pay for and and somewhere I need to budget for that that needs to come out of some kind of money either come either needs to be recouped by the tournament or has to be something that I'm willing to pay for out of pocket. Mhm. If now some people you might be able to use store terrain if you're running out of a store if they're willing to let you do that but there's something you have to consider too. Yeah, which you know that can gets you into that choice of venue as well. You can try to reduce your cost if you look at your budget of your event and you're like, okay, well, I can afford. I know if I charge fifteen bucks ahead, which is pretty fair for a one day tournament, uh, and I want to give away X in prize support, say one hundred and fifty dollars in prize support, and I'm expecting there to be twenty people to turn out for this event. Okay, well, twenty people times times uh, fifteen dollars is what? It's one hundred and fifty, three hundred dollars. And I wanted to give away half of my stuff in prize support. Well, that gives me one hundred and fifty bucks to work from to buy materials to run the uh, to for terrain. That gives me one hundred and fifty bucks to buy, you know, food for me and any of my staff for the day. I might want to give my staff an extra little personal kickback, like uh, a kit or something like that, maybe a, 
a regiment set. I usually give away all my staff for mayhem. I give them a regiment box every year. Um, this year I didn't, but usually that's the case. Uh, budget, I, I didn't budget well. I didn't take care of that. It was my own failing on the budget. And your the day staff of, I, was outraged. Yeah, they were. I'd be lucky <laughs> if I get them back next year. Never again. I mean, and it also, you know, for a larger tournament, you're going to want to offer something larger. One day tournament, you might not offer as much either. Yeah, it depends on how many awards you're giving away too. Like, uh, you can usually get away with giving away, um, like $50 overall and, and a regiment box to all of the, the secondary prize winners. Or you can get away with, you know, depending on the style of tournament, like Mayhem, I don't even give away that. I just give them a plaque because everybody there knows that 100% of the money that went, that they paid for entrance fees is sitting in that raffle plus like another two or three or $400 out of my pocket. Mm-hmm. So it, that goes into a big go goes a long ways to to fitting that style of event that you're that you're looking for and choosing that. Also thinking long term with the terrain, if if you're making cheap terrain like cutting blue felt for rivers, thing like that, that's also going to leave an impression on your players. I mean, they might say, you know, it's simple, but you know, it's done effectively. Whereas yeah. you go to Wapaka and they have beautiful terrain. Oh yeah. And that could also that could also affect whether they come back, you know, what they say about your tournament. I mean, you, and I'll, they'll also understand one person knew me being a college student, you know, okay, I'm not going to have Wapaka level terrain my first tournament if I run it. Yep, yeah, that's certainly something I know. I remember going back like the first mayhem of the series of this four-year series, I threw I, I think it was, I think I had like a $10 entrance fee. So the fee was really cheap, you know, for a one day tournament here locally for us, that was worth, that was a fairly low cost. And mm-hmm. I used almost all store terrain and the store terrain was a bit beat up and worn out. And that I got reflections from players that came to it. They're like, you know, that really wasn't, you know, that wasn't cool. I, I didn't enjoy that. That experience wasn't as positive. So you know, you've got to take that into consideration when you're budgeting your event and what kind of impression, what kind of terrain. You want to try to give them uh, something. You want to give everybody that's coming because most people aren't going to win. So you want to give them something that they feel like they've gotten a real value from you as a TO. Why did I pay you 15 bucks to come to your event? Well, I want to give you a value back, and terrain is one of those things that you can you can really cheap out, but you can also give. That's one of those things you can show and demonstrate that you're giving your your people that are coming to your event a lot of value. So it's something that's important to be aware of and budget when you don't have it, and if you do have it, um, then you're a step ahead of the game. Another thing that can draw players, I mean, it seems like most, if not all, tournaments do this nowadays. If you're supporting a charity and they can buy re-rolls or donate items for the auction for charity, that can also get players a little more motivated to come or to, you know, encourage people to come. But that can also make an impact as well. Sure, because uh, the second you have... Um, a, a raffle where, especially, and I see this a lot of times where you have these events, it's almost every event other than Mayhem, um, where people are, well, you, you get a bonus sportsmanship point or bonus etiquette point or whatever they want to call it for bringing an item and donating it to the charity raffle. Well, you know, if the t- points are tight and I want to win this event, I have to do that. And then that turns around and means I'm going to spend an extra, say if I have to 
okay, I got to bring in an extra $20 kit from Games Workshop that has to be brand new in box for your event. Well, on top of the entrance fee that you're charging me, you're also charging me that, really? That's, that's something that you got to be, you know, you got to take into consideration personally. I mean, I'm all about helping charity, but, but that, that's kind of, for me personally, I, I don't know if I like, <laughs> like that. Um, I, I, I get that it's cool. You guys want to do something for charity, but that's something you got to consider, you know, you know, hey, I want to do this really cool raffle and I want to do something good for charity and I know I can't fund it. So I ask people to bring stuff to donate as charity items and then to encourage you, I give you a kickback for the tournament. Well, now the raffle ends up being this huge pile of stuff, but, and I get a whole lot of money for the raffle, which is awesome. But it also meant you ask your players to basically invest more money in coming to your event. So then you got to consider, well, how do I, since I'm, since I'm doing that, since I'm taking money out of my, tournament pocket how do i re how do i make it better for that player experience then so i better make sure that i um, get that player experience at my tournament to be just that much better other things that you kind of want to take into account going getting into your organizational items and these are things that you need to do both ahead of time uh, before the tournament and also at the tournament and this is kind of things that make that are kind of assumed, but also help make your tournament run smoothly. Like, what's the, you know, Brian, you're going to go to a tournament, right? Or you, you know, you were just at a tournament. Uh-huh. What was one of the things you had to know right up front? Point size. Like what time to show up? Exactly. Time to show up. What What's the schedule going to look like? Where do I need to be? When do I need to be there? You know, not just for to show up, but what's the round schedule? What's you know? I'm when's gonna it going to end? When's, when's it going to go end? home? When is the estimated end time so that I can kind of plan my day around that? So I know, oh hey, I'm not going to be back home till ten o'clock at night. Okay, well that's important for me to know because maybe I make that decision on if I'm going to go or not. So that's a big one. Another big one's yeah, obviously the point size of the event, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. What are the other things that, you know, from an organizational standpoint, that you need to get communicated out there in an effective form for your players that they have to know prior to going to an event? What are the kind of things that you need to know? Do you need to know what, you know, do I need to bring printed lists for my opponents? If a, if a new army book came out, like if the, like with the new Warriors of Chaos book before Twitter Bowl, am I going to be taking the new one or the old one? And I think it was just over a month out, so I was taking the new book. That's a that's one question for Chaos Dwarf fans because I used to be one for a long, long time. Still am. You know, I used to be the old Ravening Hordes list. Now, are you going to allow the Tamarcon list for the Chaos Dwarfs in? Or are you even going to allow them at all? I mean, that's uh, uh, what other books or rules are allowed. What about um, special characters? Special characters. Is there a comp pack? Uh, we don't see comp packs here, composition packs here, really. But, like, Cheddar Bowl had a composition pack where you could take an extra 200-point character. Mm-hmm. I think it could have been from a different army. I think, there, you know, that was, was one, one of alignment. The, that was, well, I mean, there was one point of confusion because it was cluttered in a, I mean, that, that, that's an example of, you know, making sure that you're getting that communication out there effective and clearly because when something like that's buried in, you know, there's a couple of different answers to the question and they're buried in a forum thread that can be difficult and kind of frustrating for, and that does affect your player experience. And Cheddar Bowl, we're talking about an event that was very well run and very successfully run mm-hmm. this year. And great we event. had a great time. We had a great time. But, you know, these are kind of things that, uh, 
really impact what people think about an event or what they, you know, their their feel of the event going on coming back. I know we're, but there, what other things there, you know, if you think about from as a player perspective that you need the TO to communicate. And when I say TO, do you mean ter- I'm using a lot of an acronyms here? Tournament <laughs> organizer, of course. Um, what are you, the other things, you know, as a player, you think you might need that TO to communicate to you, to you that you're looking for? Sometimes the scoring, because that might affect my list a little bit. If you know, might I know Meal goes a lot for those objective points. He plays real hard for those. Um, is appearance going to be a high part of the score? I might, I might not. If appearance is a low part part of the score, I might be willing to play an army I might not normally play, or vice versa. Is you know composition a score? Because then I'm going to have to keep that in mind when I'm tailoring my list, even if they're allowing anything to come, if it's being scored rather than restricted, that's still going to affect your judgment, especially if it's player-judged comp. Exactly. Those are definitely things that players are looking for. How do I get that competitive edge? And Those kind of things can help a player understand, what do I need to take to that tournament to give me this edge at scoring it this way or that way? Is it a win-loss draw system? Is it a 20-yacht? Is appearance worth you know, a third of my overall score, or is appearance not considered at all for overall? How do I how do I manipulate the points so that I can get the best best win loss rate or best scoring ratio, even if I took a loss or two to try to you know where do I end up standing in the tournament? And there's people that are out there that honestly and legitimately look at those kind of things and try to figure out how they can manipulate those scoring packs to try to win win events. So it's worth noting. Uh, that those are kind of things that your people are looking for to have. So that definitely goes into that organization and that communication from you as the tournament organizer to the people that are going to your event so that they can understand what they need, you know, players need and to try to fill as many of those needs. And I mean, there can, there you can debate, well, do I release scenarios ahead of time or do I use book scenarios or those kind of things? These are all really, that's really secondary to the, that kind of goes into that. What kind of tournament do I want to run? But, you know, giving, giving players a good overall picture of what the event is and what they can expect when they go, definitely, uh, people that are coming to your event appreciate that. The more clear and concise you can be and you're effective in your communication right up front, the, and the better organized that seems to be, it also sets you up for when you get to the day of, you already know, you've already made all these decisions. It's already organized for you and laid out so that you just have to, you know, the, the getting to the day of, it just kind of flows all together the way you want it to, so that you've already got everything kind of planned out and it's already well prepared. On top of that, then you get into materials that you need to make sure that you have. You need to make sure if you're running a tournament, you got to obviously all your scenarios printed out or, you know, at least accessible to players. So, you know, I guess you could say, hey, I'm going to use book scenarios for this and then we're going to use scenario, okay, we're going to use battle line for round one, a blood and glory for round two and watchtower for round three. And that I wouldn't recommend that, but you know, not watchtower <laughs> also, for round three, but yeah, but you, you know, then I can get away without having to print scenarios, but how am I going to get that scenarios to those people rounded scoring sheets and appearance scoring sheets and any other worksheets that you need your players to fill out for information for your event. You need to make sure that those are all printed out. You got copies enough for as many players as you're expecting. And usually a few extra copies. Because someone loses one or... Oh, yeah. That that always happens. <laughs> You'll need some kind of way to track scoring, right? 
that's pretty important to most players, I assume, to be able to, <laughs> to get the score, right? Well, yeah, for you as a TL, you track scoring. I, know, I, I went to a tournament and it was in Milwaukee once, and this is no, I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers or naming names, and I'm not saying it was bad or good. Uh, are, are trying to, trying to make the person that ran this tournament, cause it was a, I had a great time at this tournament. It was a small tournament. Like, I think there was like 10 people or something like that at it. But all of the scoring was done by hand and a written document. And it seemed like when he was doing final scoring that he must have retabulated and had like w- recalculated winners three or four times Yikes. by hand before he was able to finally give away winners and then even then i was like uh really that person scored higher than i did and i got two wins and they got two losses how'd that happen and then he had to go like retalibate you know and even then after he had announced winners he had to go back through and recalculate his results and that was clumsy so making sure you have uh, uh some kind of system and it, it everybody's got access to spreadsheets out there you know, whether it's through Microsoft Excel, Open Office, Google Docs, whatever it might be, there's spreadsheets out there like crazy. You don't need anything fancy. A, a good spreadsheet with columns and spend the time. If this is your first time running a tournament, simulate the tournament with however your calculations. If you're using use Excel or you're going to use whatever scoring application, go through a simulate, like say a 10 person tournament through your sheet, through your application. And validate that the results look right at the end, you know, that they are correct. So that every, all your like sum where you're doing like a sum of fields that, that the calculation is correct, that it, you know, that you get the expected result. If it all of a sudden throws in there for your, you know, you have a, a battle round, a score of round one of five and a score of round two of ten and a score of round three of five and you've got 40 is the final sum. <laughs> Something there doesn't tell it. You just didn't, you didn't calculate it correctly. So you need to look at that and make sure that you, you double check and test that. I usually do that every year once. And I can't tell you, I still usually get caught with something fluky. You know, if you're running the bigger the event, the more chance there is for some kind of flukiness in your scoring system. And you know, you want to get it so that you're just checking data entry errors, not checking Oops, did it actually calculate this correctly on the day of? Because again, that goes into that organization. You get the more smooth you run it, the more prepared you are going in, the better your organization, the, you know, the players feel like very assured that everything went smoothly, you know, the things were on time. Think of how to resolve ties. Yes, that needs to, how do you resolve like a tie? Do you have, Two people that ended up being the same overall score at the end of the event. How do you have a tiebreaker there? What's your tiebreak? And not just one level. You, I've heard of cases where they had to go two or three levels to resolve a tie in different scores, especially think, sportsmanship. Yeah, I think that's what had happened to Cheddar Bowl is that must have went that way. I haven't seen a final scoring for it. Staff. Let's talk about staff for a second. You know stuff about staff, right, Brian? I've done that for you, actually. The worst boss ever. No, just kidding. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. I would agree with that. Not a very nice guy. <laughs> I think staff is pretty important just to help everything, pretty much. I mean, it's going to help the organizer. You're going to take some of the load off yourself. And having the bodies who are kind of in charge to help you do stuff on the day of is pretty helpful. Mm-hmm. And I actually last year helped staff for the Adepticon Championship. And there was a fair amount of staff there and probably... Could have still had more and been okay. 
But, I mean, he, he can help resolve things, have being able to answer questions on the spot so the TO can be doing their own thing. That is big. Yeah, I think uh, staff, when it comes to staff, you need to effectively try to communicate to each person that's on your staff, what do you need them to do? What do you expect out of them? And what and to make sure that they have the full view of what your vision for the tournament is, especially since staff is usually volunteer for these kind of things. Like, you know, both cases here, we're talking about staff that were volunteers for the event. And I, I, I don't know how, uh, how, uh, Alex did it for Adepticon, but I know for ma'am, I uh, did spend, some... at, go ahead. At, at Adepticon, if I volunteered for an event, I got the main admission for Adepticon free. Yeah, but the, I think the, the thing, I think it's the thing that I'm talking about here, uh, the, where I was going is that on top of some kickback that you get for usually staffing something, you get, when you, when I, you know, from the tournament organizer, you give them some kind of clear direction of what do I expect out of you. So like with Mayhem, Brian, uh, I think there was, I think I spent a bunch of time trying to talk to you and Sean and, and ended up talking to Alex about the appearance scoring and then I talked to you about, you know, what your role was going in, correct? Since you understood exactly, you know, okay, you're going to do this, which I, you ended up being my ringer. Yep. So I needed you to, you know, okay, okay here's what we, here's what we're going to do. You know, I need you to do this. And here's what you need to do as the ringer and what I expect out of my ringer. There was a, I did try to lay out that and you did a really good job of doing that. Mm-hmm. When I get Alex for the appearance judge, I, I explained to him, this is the way I want scoring to work. Sean for the doing, running my, my data entry and my spreadsheet for the scoring. You know, I spent a lot of time working with him, some phone calls ahead of time, trying to, trying to isolate problems from the previous year so that we could, we could, sort that out and make sure that we were both on the same page and that it worked really effectively and smoothly from that station as well. So uh, it's very good for the TO to talk to his staff and make sure they understand the vision. Uh, wouldn't you guys agree? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Do you think it's helpful to staff a tournament before you run it? It depends on how many people you're having showing up. One of the biggest things, if this is your first tournament you're ever running, I think it's very important that you have an experienced tournament organizer there with you because you're not going to anticipate everything, and having mm-hmm. that experience is invaluable. Because I think you and I were talking that you were willing to help me with that event that I yes. was going to run. Yeah, that was the plan, and then for whatever reason, it kind of fell apart the last week or two before. So mm-hmm. then I ended up not going, because there wasn't going to be anybody there. Yeah, it's very important. When you're running your first event, I think that's it's very valuable. I, when I ran my first tournaments, I had Matt Failer was around at the time, and he had run some tournaments and and been to a lot of tournaments as well. And, and it was just so invaluable having him there to manage the scoring and the spreadsheets and, and that kind of thing. And I was able to focus on making sure people had a good time and made sure that things moved and it ran on schedule and, and all of the and, – and it was clear on my rules calls and stuff like that versus – being pulled away from, you know, the data entry aspect and making sure that things were validated correctly to then have to, you know, that's the worst thing possible for somebody doing data entry is to have to like, get their focus turn away too. So, but uh, yeah, that was that was big. Um, 
Finally, I think we get into, we've talked a little bit about it all so far, but I think we talk about marketing your event is, is kind of the last aspect of this that I wanted to mention or, or hit on. Uh, what do you guys think might be effective or things that you look for as players going to a tournament that are important marketing aspects for you? Like, what are the things that you're looking for to, when you go to a tournament right now? Obviously, I think Brian, you're looking for the painted, not painted. <laughs> you know, well, yeah, painted a that's a very important whether I have any chance of playing in it or not at this point. <laughs> but when you get beyond that, I mean, what other things are you looking at? What are the important things to you for going to a tournament? Oh, um, I think personally, I guess where it's going to be is kind of important too. Like, I'm not going to travel too far to play in any kind of event, really. Okay, so travel is obviously a big thing. So location. Um, I think, what else do you, Robert, what are the other things I know that you might consider? For me, the total cost, I mean, um, no, during the summers, well, I, wait a minute, uh, you, you used a term here that I want, I, I think it's worth clarifying, clarifying, and maybe we talked about it a little bit, but let's clarify here, total cost, what does that mean to you? Not just the tournament fee. Usually the tournament fee is the least of the problems. It's, do I need to get a hotel? And am I going to be sharing it with people? Like, if I know Dan, and John are going, it's not going to be so bad because I can split a room. But hotel, gas cost, uh, time, just, you know, in traveling. Uh, is there reasonable food places nearby that I can afford to go to and not be dropping a ton of money on food? I mean, I don't mind Saturday night or Friday night once going out with a bunch of guys, having a nice meal. But the rest of the time, I just kind of go to Subway and have a quick, cheap meal. But the total cost that... What is my checking account at the start, you know, on Friday night? And what's my checking account on Sunday night when I get home? Okay, very good explanation. Okay, go ahead and continue now. We're, we're, I don't even remember what we were talking about. It's not just, it's cost of the channel. What's it going to cost to me? Um, partly location, but that kind of goes into cost. But also who's going. If I know that, especially if, Dan or John are going, I'm a lot more likely to go because usually we either travel together or split rooms. If I see, you know, faces that I know that are going to the tournament, that also bodes well for that tournament. If I see, like, the Point Hammer guys or McClure or the Garage Hammer guys are really excited for it, you know, or, or even you yourself, I know that that's going to be a good sign that the tournament is going to be a fun one. That that reflects well. You know, I also pay attention to Eric and David Benarek. If those people are interested, I am more likely to go. So it's also the other people going. Okay. So I mean, it's from a tournament from a tournament organizer, now I can take some of that and I can go. Okay, what can I use out of that? What do I know out of that? Because those are things that players are are looking for uh, to go to a tournament. You know, is you know, what kind of, first thing, like, okay, am I, I'm, I've got to decide that location or venue. We've talked about that a little bit so far, but yeah, I can try to find a location or venue that's going to have, for, you know, some fast food joints that are close to it. Food on site is a big one. Uh, fairly inexpensive hotel nearby, you know, something that's at least a hundred, you know, a hundred dollars or less a night, U.S. Um, I can look for, uh, a lot of people like to have a hotel on the at the same venue. That's a big one for them, so they can just kind of have it, make it like a little staycation for a tournament for them. Talking about marketing of the event, we get into uh, some of the other things. That, obviously, the point size I think is a big deal um, for the event. 
and also the the venue. I get, let's get back to the venue location. Venue location. I've always long time said that it, one of the things with the venue that I want that I take into from a TO perspective is that I want to try to fill my tournament with roughly a third of what I'm expecting or what I'm shooting for for my tournament from people that are within an hour of my tournament that I consider those players I think are local players. Now, I've kind of gotten blessed this last year, or last couple of years for Mary Mayhem. I don't need that nearly as much, but traditionally, especially if you're getting your first tournament off the ground, you want to try to pull a third. If you can pull a third of the players locally, one of the things I know I look for for a tournament is where that list of signups are. Do they have a bunch of people that are signing up for this event? Is there like 10 names on the event? Because if there is, then that means there's going to be a tournament. And that means there's going to be, you know, there's people that are interested in going. If mm-hmm. I see a tournament that it's been announced and there's no list of sign up for sign up for players, or there's, uh, not a, it's not the, the list of sign ups only like three or four players. And that's what it's been sitting at for like two weeks. Uh, uh-oh. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to travel to that tournament. You know, I'm not going to travel two hours to get to a tournament where there's only four guys on the sign-up. And but, that was part of the problem with the one I was running. Or the one did you try to get off the ground? Yeah. And so, I mean, if I look at it and I go, okay, I want to get, I want to, I think this tournament's going to be successful if I have, say, 12 people at it. And I've got six locals that I know for certain that are going to be at this tournament. And I'm shooting for 12, but I've got room for 18. Well, that's pretty good numbers because, at least here in the U.S., because, well, six, I'm gonna get, if I got six locals, that's a third of my tournament. If I get six people to travel from more than two hours out, or for more than an hour out, that's, you know, that's not unreasonable for a one-day tournament to get people to drive in, you know, two hours to a one-day tournament, at least not here in Wisconsin. So I got a good shot at getting, you know, that many people on top of my initial six better numbers is 10 so 10 and then i go to i wanted 20 people i want to show up but i'm going to offer 30 at my venue well 10 if i can get 10 locals that's pretty good numbers at 10 locals at 10 signups that really looks attractive to other people that are going to you know that are willing to travel because they get that, that magic number of 10 then that kind of oh hey that's worth traveling a couple hours for I'm I'm not going to get stuck playing against anybody I travel with. Probably, you know, the chances are very little, you mm-hmm. know, that I'm going to get stuck playing against somebody I travel again with. And that's, there's that's also viable. a slight psychological factor. If you're if the tournament's coming together and you're getting the people, if you only have a handful of spots left, people are going to be feel more a little more pressure saying, "Hey, I've been waiting to sign up for this tournament. I should sign up for it now so I get in." You're going to fill those last few spots a little more quickly. Yep. So it, it, having a good local, a good local crowd to to get those first ten, those first half dozen to ten signups for that first third of your tournament is huge to being able to successfully market your tournament because that is a big one for anybody that you're wanting to or look or you're looking to to have them travel to your tournament to to be able to to pass that on. Um, if you get into marketing your event, the other things that you can do is. Of course, present a, a good, whatever that portal is for your tournament, whether it's a, you're hosting it as a website 
or it's a post on a forum to lead off the, your, if it's a post on a forum to lead that first post with every little detail, everything that's covered in the thread. If somebody asks a question about something and you make a ruling, get that in your initial post in your thread. If you've got, a, if you've got, you know, a schedule that you post like four posts into the, th- into the forum thread, get that into that initial forum post. Get it where it's easy for everybody to look at because otherwise you end up answering the same questions over and over again in that same thread or people are just frustrated with it and either just make assumptions on whatever they want to do or just discount your event as too too much clutter and they don't go to it. Um, a website's the same thing. Lord, I need to do this with Mayhem site because it's a bit of a clutter as I've brought in <laughs> other events with it as well now. But yeah, clean up that material, make it clear, concise, what's to be expected so that everybody and so that everybody can see it and make decisions on that rather than burying it. The harder it is for people to find information on the event, the less likely that they're going to to go. Finally, uh with your especially driving your local crowd, um this is my last point, you guys might have some as well. Get materials out at the local game stores. Uh, that you that you are in your area for this. Get flyers up. Get if they've got a website and they let and they're willing to have them put up a little blip on it. I know for like uh, we're doing Let's Play Green Bay, uh, which I didn't mention earlier in the show like I had planned, but we're doing Let's Play Green Bay, which is in a couple of weeks uh, from when we're recording here. That we're running Adepticon Primer is one of the things that I made sure was is that we were listed on the Adepticon website and we should be listed now as running a Fantasy and 40K Adepticon Primer at Let's Play Green Bay. So if you're in the Green Bay area, make sure that you head out to to Let's Play Green Bay. It's going to be a great convention, lots of big vendors, including Fantasy Flight, Mayfair Games, uh, some some really big, cool vendors are going to be there. Prism Gaming will be there, and Wisco Dice will be there, and we're running the the Fantasy and the 40K tournaments for that weekend, as well as some other intro stuff that's going to be run on the side on Friday night. So make sure that you're there for that. Uh, but yeah, getting the getting the word out and taking advantage of any place that you can get your name, the date, and time, and and size of the event in a link back to where the specifics are uh, is really good. Anything that you can do to try to get that word of mouth out there, to get people talking about it, to get people to see it, to recognize it, because uh, the worst thing to have happen is to I'm here. I'm running an event and. Nobody knew it was happening, so now people don't get to participate because they didn't know it was going on. All right, is there anything else that you guys have to add regarding marketing an event that you might think is important? You could think of maybe I didn't look for or maybe something that I didn't talk about. I can't think of anything from myself. I can't think of anything either. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of the that's kind of the overview of what it takes to I think put together a tournament that's going to be successful. And well run. So let's go ahead and take a break then. And when we come back, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. My precious. My precious. Your precious what? My precious everything. Yu-Gi-Oh! Warhammer 40k War Machine Hordes? Everything. Everything? Yeah. It's all at Misty Mountain Games. Really? Correct. Located on Cottage Grove Road. And you know what? I hear they also have the largest gaming space in all of Madison. Don't just hear it. I know they do. 
All right. And also, you can check them out for board games as well, I hear. Yep, board games. They got pretty much everything. The management and the staff down there are awesome. They can hook you up with whatever you need. If it's not on the shelves, they'll make sure they get it in for you promptly and quickly. All right, well, check them out. Misty Mountain Games on Cottage Grove Road. And, of course, hit their website at mistymountaingames.com. Are you tired of playing the same group of guys in your basement every week? Check out the WWHFB, Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League. Check it out at www.hfb.com with regions in Madison, Milwaukee, Stevens, Point, and La Crosse. Anywhere in Wisconsin, you're going to find somebody to play. www.hfb.com. Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League. So, uh, today on Conzie's Rant, we're going to go ahead and rant about you, Mr. Andrew Sherman. Uh-oh. You, Mr. Ohio Hammer. You, Mr. Making Me Paint Way Too Many Models. Okay, well, this whole challenge was my idea. <laughs> but, I gotta say, I did not anticipate your paintbrush flying nearly as fast as as it is. So, Andrew, slow down! I need to keep this lead for a long time to come, so quit making me have to work so hard to beat you at this. Because that, that wasn't the idea. I was supposed to just win, and you're supposed to wear some Wisconsin, you know, University of Wisconsin stuff and walk around downtown Toledo. That was how this <laughs> was supposed to work. That was the game plan. You are breaking it. So stop that. Stop it now. Just admit your defeat and let me win. That's all I'm at. That's all I'm not even asking for it. I'm just telling you this is the way it's going to work. You, you gotta realize that this is the way it's going to go and that there's, quit fighting the inevitable. Just give up so that we can both get back to our normal painting lives and not have to paint as many models as we are. <laughs> okay. It's not really bothering me to paint that many models. It's been serious motivation though. And I would highly recommend that, that you all set up your own painting challenges. And see, I know it's getting into, it's already three or four months, but see if you can keep up with me and Andrew, because um, there's a spreadsheet out there, you can see what we're doing, It's we shared it up on the Facebook Wisco Dice Facebook page a while back, so you can find it there, I'll put it up on the show notes probably for this show as well, and try to see if you can keep up with us for the rest of the year, because... Getting all these models painted has been awesome. It's really been a huge motivation. It's been great having this challenge, and I could probably keep painting like this for the next two years, and I still would just maybe finish painting what I own currently, let alone what I'm going <laughs> to buy for the next year. Yeah, it's, it's been really, really awesome, and I really do appreciate Andrew for taking part of this, and, and I hope that we continue to fi- complete the uh, 2013, or whatever year this is, 2013, <laughs> uh, strong and, and keep going. So, And, of course, you got to remember, there's Conzie's Challenge out there, so all you slackers, that goes to you two here. I'm working uh, on stop it. Stop playing with unpainted models and play with painted figs. Take up that challenge, get only painted figs on the board, it's worth it. It makes your game experiences better. Painted models, as we all know, fight better. That must have been what happened last week in Blood Bowl. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely. It did kind of stink. Like, that was actually a motivator. Like, I'm, I cannot play my orcs because my orcs are only, I don't have orcs in my Blood Bowl team that are painted that I need to play with. So, 
I don't have 11 painted orcs, so that's a motivating factor for me now to get motivated and finish painting that Blood Bowl team finally. Orc dorks. Yep, the orc dorks. <laughs> so. All right, that was Conzie's rant. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and talk about our hobby and gaming goals for the next couple of weeks. Next time we're going to record, we'll be at Let's Play Green Bay. So uh, let's kind of keep that in mind that we have a small convention we're doing a bunch of work for. But that's going to be about two weeks from now. So we should have our normal normal window. What do you guys think you're going to get done? Or what are you looking forward to try to get done in the next couple of weeks? I know I'm definitely going to keep working on those ghouls. I just got them ready to go for paint. So there's going to be paint going on them. I'm not sure how much that's going to amount to. I'd like to... It would be so awesome if I had the five, the first group of five I have going done by then, but I kind of doubt that. So I imagine they'll be somewhere upwards of halfway, at least okay. halfway done. So solid progress is what you're looking for on the five ghouls you started. Yep, still working on them. I mean, I'm going to work on them as much as I can. Just plugging away on my ghouls. Yep. I got plenty of them to go, 40 of those jerks. <laughs> All right. Do you have any, any hobby or painting goals that you're working on, Robert? Uh, just continuing to work on the shows and get those done, hopefully by uh, Let's Play Green Bay. Maybe get some work done on the Demon Prince. Not finished, I know, because I'm going to put a lot of work into him. But those are the two main goals, pretty much. Okay. Uh, for myself, I've got six skeleton Tomb King archers that I'm working on that I just kind of started. I want to go ahead and finish them up. I've got six more mobile infantry for my Starship Troopers. I'd like to get into doing some of the other stuff for the Starship Troopers. Some bugs. I'd like to get my 35mm uh, artillery put together and painted for Flames of War. I think that'll be a nice addition or at least nice starters to that squad. I need to get another pack of those, though. I need another two thirty. I need another two 37mm guns to finish out the squad, uh, what it can be or whatever they, they call the whole thing. So I have all the teams possible that I could take and pay for, points-wise. And then I think we're going to go ahead. I know I said I wanted to go ahead and shoot for and try to start getting work on that War Sphinx. Like I said last time, I ended up not getting any work really done. I just sat there and stared at me and was intimidating me on the table. I promise I will get at least a coat of some paint on that thing next time. That's your second one already? Yeah, it would be the second one. The first one is is at least fully painted. It's not finished, finished, but it's it's fully painted to the point where I can play with it on the table. Everything on it is painted and at least got a base coat on it. And at this point, that's going to be good enough if I'm going to try to get 2,400 points of Tomb Kings for Blood in the Sun painted. So that's kind of all my hobby goals. Is there any games that you guys are looking for to play? Is there anything new or exciting that's coming up on the, on the radar for you or anybody that you're shooting to try to play against? I know I want to start making the Flames War group on Wednesdays if I can a little more often now that the w- roads are a little bit less discombobulated with winter weather and with the, you know, getting warmer out as well, longer daylight. Wouldn't mind getting up to playing some Flames War and maybe some X-Wing as well. I know I definitely, I still have not gotten a game of X-Wing since the Falcon and the A-Wing and the TIE Interceptor and the Slave 1 came out. That, that second wave expansion sets. So I really would love to play a game of X-Wing. I, I really, I had a chance the, I think it was last weekend at the square we had a X-Wing tournament and I was gonna go play in it and then I got sick and ended up having to stay home and paint, which was terrible, but. <laughs> I was but, drunk that day. Yeah, I saw that. I wish I would have been out there for your birthday bash, but 
Yeah, better hopefully next year. Yep. But yeah, that was the big thing. X Wing would be a big one. I really, at some point, would like to get some Flames of War. I just wish that Square didn't do their Flames of War on Saturday or on Wednesdays because that's a big scheduling conflict for me. Anything else I'm looking for? I don't think there's anything else big on my radar of things that I want to get. I, I just got my own. I finally, finally got my actual copy of Cards Against Humanity. So oh, I'll be lo- looking forward to whipping that out now, including the third expansion. So I have all the expansions except the holiday expansion. So I'm be looking forward to getting that out at at the the next p- big party that's here and, and being able to play a game of that. You reminded me, and I'll give a PG example of around I one. It was at PlatCon here in Platteville convention we have, and the, the card we had to respond to was in a world ravaged by blank. The only solace is in blank. And I won that round, and it ended up being, in a world ravaged by Nicolas Cage, the only solace is in insatiable bloodlust. Nice. All right, so uh, <laughs> that is that is definitely something I'm looking forward to. I'm really looking forward to playing some Cards Against Humanity now that i got a full set. It kind of helps own in my own copy now that I make it shiny i know the wife we just got it just showed up from fedex right now the wife's actually opened up the first thing she just like opened up the third expansion because she hasn't seen any of those cards and she's sitting there giggling to herself as she's reading off the answer cards no no questions just reading the answer cards just giggling <laughs> like crazy so i can just imagine what it's gonna be like playing an actual game with her so uh what did we talk about today guys some tournament stuff what you need to do to get done as a player and as a TO tournament organizer. Yeah, we we, we answered some fan questions. We did. We had the cheese the curd. The cheese curd, the first one. Yep. <laughs> we want to make sure we mention we didn't mention it earlier. We do have that contest still going. This is the last episode of the block that we're looking for feedback on. So that was episodes 30, 31 and 32. We're looking for your feedback. Uh what you think about the show, both positive, negative, you can have to submit those responses via email to hosts at wiscodice.com. For every 20 responses we get, we'll kick in an additional prize. Right now we've got a couple of boxes of skeletons. And, Robert, you had an objective marker you kicked into that prize pool, right, that you're going to make custom for somebody? Yep, 40-millimeter objective marker. All right, so we've got all of that right now on the on the line. So make sure that you get your responses in. Uh, we love to hear back about it. We've been reading them and responding and providing feedback where we've got. Make sure we did uh, also put up the on YouTube. The Wisco Dice YouTube channel has now actually got an actual Warhammer video. <laughs> it's our second video that's up there. It's a roller derby, if you didn't understand what that was, from here from Mad Roland Dolls. Uh, for our first video that was just shot off my phone, but this is our first official compiled video for the Cheddar Bowl coverage. It's a great kind of compliment to the Cheddar Bowl episode. It's, they kind of go hand in hand. It's a, it was a great kind of two part material. Yeah, a very entertaining video. Lots of little shots of, uh, video of, uh, games being played as well as, as well as some, some kind of the talking, hanging out, just, uh, being a good event, as well as the full awards ceremony at the end. So definitely can, go check it out. And you can put some faces to the names you're hearing. Like Some of you might not have met Drunk Den. Many of you have, but you can put a, fa- a face to that or us if you're not local. Yeah, definitely. It was worth it was worth watching, and, and it was very entertaining. It was 
it was great to put together. So I'm um, looking forward to the next video we get to put together. Look for something hobby oriented, hopefully coming soon. I think those are the big things we got coming up. I mean, go ahead and mention how you can find the show. Where where do you do that, Brian? iTunes, BlackBerry Podcasts, and Stitcher Smart Radio. And you can go ahead and find us. We're listed on all of those. You can just find us in their search engines. Uh, they they uh, can find our show and download it to your whatever your mobile device is. If you don't see us listed on one on your mobile device and wherever you're looking, uh, go ahead and shoot us a note. Let us know. We'll try to get listed wherever that might be. So, how do we get a hold of the hosts? You can find us right on the website. What's that Whisco website? Wiscodice.com. Harmony. <laughs> That's pretty good. We can also get us a hold of us on Facebook. We have both a Facebook group and page. And so well, there's a Twitter thing, something about tweeting. S- somebody. That's something. I don't know. I'm not sure what Twitter is. There's a bunch of twits, I guess. I don't know. There's some twits, yeah. So you got your Twitter handle, right, Robert? It's... At Swiss Dictator. And my Twitter handle is at Dugan Bradax. And, of course, you can follow the show at Wisco Dice. Also, catch us on Google+, because that's always a plus. <laughs> and you can, that, that address is WiscoDice at gmail.com. Finally, email us, hosts at WiscoDice.com. Yeah, that's all you, again, not only where you can submit the contrast entries, but if you have any questions regarding anything going on in the show, You'll also note that the contacts page on the website, the Wisco Dice website, has been updated with email accounts for every all of your hosts now, including the cheese curd. So if you've got a comment or question <laughs> about that you'd like us to cover, go ahead and hit the cheese curd at WiscoDice.com. Literally hit the cheese curd. <laughs> all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This has been... Yeah, Mr. O. I don't know. You guys. <laughs> You guys have been just kind of... You gotta let Brian talk. He's like, the, he's carrying the show. He's a man. He, he just, he, he, whenever he says something, it's like entertaining. Listen, you guys. <laughs> like, the cheese curd? What, what is up with that guy? Throw <laughs> some cheddar at him. Yeah, that might work. <laughs> that would be fun. That was the most entertaining thing that cheese curd did. <laughs> that Quincy, he's, he's just talking too much. He's rambling. <laughs> I don't know. Get that guy shut up. Yeah, yeah. Well, see you next time. <laughs> uh, he's full of wisdom again today, I guess. Apparently. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, guys. See you. Yep. Thanks for listening. Peace out.